Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Faith and Justice. My name is Boston, pronouns are he, him. And my name's Lyndon Sayers, pronouns he, him, the other co-host. Today we're with Izzy from GVAT. Welcome. Uh, We're very excited to be talking about Greater Victoria Acting Together, talking about union organizing, about uh, community organizing, and all that fun stuff. So welcome, Izzy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So why don't we start off just learning a little bit about what is Greater Victoria Acting Together? Yeah, so um, hi everyone, my name is Izzy Adachi, I use she and they pronouns. Uh, I'm the organizer for Greater Victoria Acting Together, which is a coalition of faith, labor, uh, social service, and environmental groups uh, coming together to solve local issues um, in Victoria. And great, and you've been the director for a few months now? Uh, I've been the organizer for a a few months there, yes. Organizer, great. Um, Boston and I are both uh, part of the Lutheran Church, Mm -hmm. which is a community partner. Um, So what, as Boston and I were, we were just chatting before the show, we're not entirely sure um, what GVAT's uh, up to these days. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, part of my role at GVAT is that I help uh, do trainings for folks. So that's one of the main um, roles that GVAT is meant to fill. Is it's an educational institution that's helped, uh, supposed to help develop uh, people's leadership skills and capacity to uh, engage in our uh, civil society and in our democracy. Um, so we do that through teaching people how to basically organize and run campaigns and um, engage in their own institutions um, or congregations. Uh, and basically our, our trade is we help make people into people power. Great. Helping make people into people power. And I know in the past GVAT uh, was organized into various committees and working groups. And you've got a couple of your main foci. What are what are those? Um, yeah. So obviously, one of the big priorities and one of the big pressures that we're feeling here in Victoria is uh, the housing issue. Um, so with Greater Victoria Acting Together, our most recent um, initiative has been to help organize support for um, the Housing Justice Project's letter calling on um, more social uh, and public housing uh, to be built in Canada as well as a call for uh, vacancy control. Um, And so that's been done through our housing action research team. Um, The second action research team that we run is uh, our climate justice action research team. Uh, And so we've been taking a lot of action on um, old growth uh, forestry protection, but also um, been starting to do some work in food and agriculture as well. Hmm. And so you've got different community groups who are supporting both financially and serving on uh, a working board and on these committees. Um, what are ways that either a group or an individual could get involved? Um, well, we're, uh, all of our members are always welcome to come to any of our trainings. Um, so we teach skills on power analysis, uh, how to do relational meetings, how to have house meetings, um, and how to cut an issue, um, which it means like boiling down big picture problems into things that are actionable at the local level. Um, The other way that you can get involved is by just showing up to any of our meetings, um, our action research team meetings, or our um, strategy hub, uh, which is where we sort of talk more broadly about big picture stuff within GVAT um, and make bigger decisions there. 
as well, when we do events, uh, we love to have volunteers. Uh, so um, those are a number of ways that people can participate, I think. Um, we're still figuring out um, what kinds of trainings we're going to put on next, uh, but it'll all be posted to our website at gvat.ca. That'd be great. Trainings are good. Often, like say in the church, people, I hear people say something like, oh, I'd really get involved, like to get involved in climate action or housing, but I don't know where to start or I don't have five hours a week to dedicate to whatever it might be. But it sounds like they could maybe take a training to learn a bit more. Yeah, well, part of the issue that I ran into when I first started organizing was that I did not know what I was doing, and there wasn't really people who were helping to guide me. And so that's one of the really important functions of GVAT is it's that it's a, a knowledge-sharing uh, space. Um, and I've learned so much from the folks at GVAT, and I'm hopeful that they've learned uh, some stuff from me as well. Uh, but yeah, it's... it's um, helping people to overcome that barrier of feeling like, oh, I can't get involved in the issues that I care about because I don't have the skill set or the knowledge or the capacity. And we're really um, trying to help build people's capacity to be able to take action. Right. Because it, it can feel overwhelming if you think about um, a smaller grassroots organization going up against either industry or government or something that is much better resourced. Uh, what kind of encouragement? You know, people feel a bit in the dumps these days on a lot of issues, feel overwhelmed. Um, I think some people wonder, what's the point? How how can we win on, or get success on any of these issues? What kind of encouragement or concrete things would you point to? Well, I think everyone has the capacity to start organizing right now wherever they're at um and it's gonna be really hard for them at, at first it was really hard for me when i first got started but it's incredibly worth it and it's not fast and it's not glamorous organizing um but it is effective it's incredibly effective and everything that we have pretty much everything that we have that's good in our society has been the result of uh, people coming together and organizing for it, like our healthcare system or our education system or things like that. Um, so I think really the encouragement is kind of just looking around and seeing that people have been putting in this work for generations and they're going to be putting in this work for generations afterwards. Uh, and there are people who are going to come and support you. And that's kind of what we're trying to build at GVAT. That sounds great. Boston, did you want to get in here? Yeah, well, so you brought up um, sort of some of the troubles that you had when you were organizing. Could you talk more about your experience organizing? Yeah, so um, I first started organizing kind of um, on, on a necessity basis. Uh, I was a frontline food service worker uh, during the COVID lockdowns, and um, we were faced with like pretty uh, uh big health and safety issues, much more severe than any, um, I was a Starbucks worker for context. Uh, so in that context, when we were all sort of uh, in lockdown, getting harassed by customers every single day, uh, they uh, pulled back our wages. And finally, me and my coworkers, we kind of just had enough of the absurdity of the situation that we were being told, hey, you guys are essential workers, and we're going to pay you the absolute bare minimum that we are legally allowed to. Um, so 
we organized the first uh, successful union in North America for a corporate Starbucks in a couple of decades. And that sort of started this mass wave that swept the whole continent, and it's still ongoing. Uh, but at the time, it was kind of difficult for me to focus on organizing because I wasn't getting a lot of training or support from anyone because those supports weren't in place. It was hard for any organizers to come and meet us on the island because everything was on lockdown. And so uh, I kind of spent a lot of time just sort of guessing at what the right course of action was. And sometimes I would get like positive feedback from uh, the folks that I was either organizing with or folks uh, that were above me in the union. But it was just this feeling of sort of being very um, lost and just trying to do my best. And um, over the years um, since then, I've kind of worked really hard to develop my skills so that I don't feel like that anymore. And I don't want anybody to have to feel like that where they're faced with this urgent crisis that they feel like they need to address, but they don't really know how they're going to do that. Um, so for me, part of like my growth as an organizer has also been my growth as like a trainer and being able to help other people uh, overcome the injustices that they're faced with in life. Uh, that sounds really powerful. Just thinking about uh, with Starbucks, you mentioned you were, as employees, you were getting a lot of abuse from the public as well. Well, we, we, we got turned into the mask police, right? Like we, when a customer came in and they didn't want to put on a mask, there was nobody but us that um, was enforcing those uh, health, like health and safety things. Um, our manager certainly wasn't uh, helping us out with that. And so there were a number of times where uh, people would come in and they would refuse to put on masks. And, and uh, one gentleman came in pretty much every single day to scream slurs and uh, harassment at us. He called us terrorists and uh, told us that this whole COVID thing was a hoax. And um, so that was just sort of one of the health and safety issues that kind of really got significant after the pandemic. I think every food service worker knows that it's kind of part of the job to be treated poorly by uh, customers, but this was like next level stuff um, where we were actually afraid coming in and leaving the building because there would be people who would like wait outside for us to come and talk to us too. Um, and then the other side of the coin was it was an enclosed space. We couldn't socially di uh, social distance uh, effectively and we were not given uh, effective PPE. We were given uh, PPE that absolutely did not work for the purposes that it was trying to fill. Uh, and so when we brought the union in, that was one of the really fast changes that Starbucks instituted was they shipped out uh, surgical masks and face shields to every store. Um, they won't say that it's because of the union, but it absolutely was. I was wondering about like Starbucks, just they've been feeling the heat. They've been in the news so much. And as you said, there have been the wave of union organizing. Uh, they had sort of cultivated tried to cultivate like oh we care for employees we have education benefits and at least in the u.s they were trying to trot that out i don't know if it's the same in canada um and saying you know we care for our team members but things quickly took a turn with the pandemic and they've never got their footing again it would seem much like some of the supermarket ceos in canada where they've just been exposed for just pure greed basically, and you see how little they care for the employees and how many billions get come in in the you know, quarterly and annual earnings. Um, so that that's, 
a win for labor for sure and then to see um union organizing continue to grow so there must be some wind in the sails on the labor side yeah i mean i think starbucks definitely tried to maintain that image for a really long time but i mean if you are a pro worker company you don't fight back against your workers when they try and join a union you don't fire people for trying to form a union or being a union member and you don't uh, reduce people's hours below the limit so that they don't get health benefits if they're in a union either. I, I think there are a number of things that Starbucks has tried to keep hidden from the public um, that are sort of coming to light now, one of which is like their history, actually, of, of being a, a very anti-union company. Uh, and then the other thing that's sort of in the news right now is their labor abuses throughout the supply chain. And they've been caught using uh, coffee farms that have actual slave labor multiple times and then they still call themselves 100% ethical which is not how I really felt when I was working for the company yeah that's seems like just a big mess mm -hmm. and when something gets to that scale and it's driven for profit for both the company and for shareholders it's hard to see how something following that model is going to turn out good mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Well, it's like they have a board of directors at Starbucks, right? And they always leave an empty chair. And the empty chair at the table is supposed to represent Starbucks partners, like the, the, the actual workers. And it's like, well, if we just ha we could have union representation actually at that table. And that would actually be a real human being representing the workers instead of just this like vague idea. Um, so that, that's yeah. silent. Yeah, exactly. Right. So. I think workers right now are sort of seeing that um, large-scale corporations like Starbucks actually don't have their best in interests at heart. And um, But the people next to you who are facing the same issues that you are, um, their interests are actually much more aligned um, than um, your interests are ever going to be aligned with your employer. So, hmm. I was wondering, so because this is really i mean it's striking true particularly now you know this idea of like a bit of a um a board that are like a, a group of powerful people that don't necessarily have your best interests at heart um and i think i mean i think every episode we touch on this a little bit just because it's obviously so much it's so so pertinent but like i, I think about right now uh, a lot of student and youth organizing in terms of um like what's going on in Palestine, right? And so I was wondering just if, if maybe you could say a few words, maybe give some advice to young, because some like it's just something that I've noticed um, in the last couple months is that there are, there seems to be a bit of a, a shock, I guess, with some younger people where they like go into a meeting with these institutions and stuff like that. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, you're not my best friend. Like, you know what I mean? Or like, what do you mean that they're just like not going to do this thing that we asked them to do and, and instead give us all these like empty words and things that don't really mean anything. And it's like, I'm a little jaded because I've been in, I've been doing this too long. I've been in this university too long, but I was wondering if you could maybe give some advice to some of the younger people who like, just who are for the first time trying to do organizing 
Yeah, wow. Um, that's a big question. Um, I think the best advice that I could give to an organizer that's just starting out um, is probably that it's not all on you. Uh, I think sometimes when you start organizing, it can feel like um, you are the one that is responsible for everyone because you're taking on that responsibility. But there are actually lots of other people within the movement that you can sort of fall back on. And it's okay to take breaks. It's okay to give yourself rest. Um, there is always going to be injustices in the world. And we're, we always need people to stand up for, uh, against that. Uh, but at the same time, it's sort of like work where it's never ending. And so you do have to take time to sort of take a deep breath, um, hang out with your friends, go experience the sunshine. Maybe not right now, but uh, in uh, when it is the sunny season, go out and experience that. Um, I think the other side of the coin where it's like, yeah, these are institutions and institutions move at a glacial pace sometimes. And that can be really frustrating for folks who are seeing an overwhelming amount of injustice in the world. I mean, I get frustrated with it all of the time. Um, and over the years that I've been organizing, I've just sort of learned to um, expect it to take time and to take tedium and to take um, work. Uh, and not expect it to sort of be this like romanticized version of uh, organizing where it's like, yeah, if we just keep doing this, then revolution is inevitable, right? And we're going to have all the changes that we want right away. It's something that we have to build towards. And um, part of that is um, the length of time that that's going to take is going to be a very long time. So uh, keep your expectations not limited, but be generous with yourself. That was kind of a ramble, but hopefully that's helpful to someone out there. Yeah, that's, oh, uh, that's yeah, go ahead, Boston. No, no, I was just going to say, no, it's appreciated. Thank you. Um, I think about, too, that your example is organizing Starbucks here locally. I mean, how many of there were you who got the union organizing off the ground? Um, Like here in Victoria? I would say, so it started with about seven of us meeting at the Denny's during that brief period of lockdown where they actually like opened restaurants back up for like a week, um, right after we closed. And we started talking about how frustrated we were feeling. And then we realized that like, we actually had a significant percentage of the workers there because we only had about 28 workers there. So seven is a big percentage of that. And I come from a family where sort of unions are a big presence. I'm, my nan was in the teachers union and both my parents were in unions for a while. And so really like it was that sort of initial group of seven. And then we all, we brought in everybody. Like it was, I think we, when we signed cards and had our vote, it was 94% or, or something close to that of the workers at our Starbucks were involved in the union campaign in some way and that was um, done through a process of like we mapped out our workplace and we thought about like who was friends with who and who would be good to talk to who um so overall i mean it was the seven initial uh, people who kind of got started organizing and then once we got into bargaining it was um down to two of us because that's how many people we were allowed to have on the bargaining committee um 
obviously everybody at the time was still involved and we gave everyone updates but um, unfortunately we were in something called like closed bargaining which meant we weren't allowed to share details um, more broadly or more publicly um, but that was uh, myself and Sarah Broad and uh, yeah. But that's a remarkably small number of people who accomplished quite a lot. So one thing that's heartening about that is people see like, oh, me and my five friends, how do we go up against this big thing? Well, that seems pretty daunting. But you and your five friends could potentially organize something that leads to something bigger or you partner with uh, an organization like GVAT and other local groups, churches in our case in the multi-faith community. And when we pool all those resources, including just the energy people bring, it, it can add up to quite a lot. Totally. And I think what we were experiencing during the pandemic as frontline food service workers who were getting abused in the workplace and, and completely like devalued and in some ways dehumanized was this sense of powerlessness, right? And part of what was really healthy about the union campaign was it was us reclaiming our power as human beings through the relationships that we were building. And that's actually the model for all organizing that occurs, right? It's that if human beings can build relationships with each other that are strong and we take action against the systems that are causing us to have injustice in the world, we actually are able to overcome that off more often than not. That, yeah, I find that a remarkable story and that rings true and that sense of reclaiming your own humanity. Boston, I don't know if you have analogs to that uh, with indigenous law, uh, some of the organizing you've done there or in other aspects where it's been frustrating, but also probably a handful of you have taken up the baton to do some great things. Well, <laughs> there's a little bit, you know, I will, uh, yeah, I don't mind speaking openly, like, like, just to be frank, like the university really sucks sometimes. And so, um, yeah, like, I mean, definitely small groups of us have taken up the baton, but it doesn't always work out the way that you want it to, or kind of just because there's so much bureaucracy and so much red tape specifically at the university where it's like, you know, yeah, anyways, just, yeah, we've, we've been through a lot of situations where one of the higher-ups will say, yeah, we want to meet you and we want to talk about it, but then, but we can only do next week. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. And then next week rolls around and they don't show up and they say, oh, actually, it'll have to be early next month. Is that all right? Yeah, and then early next month, oh, actually, this uh, person went on vacation, and they're going to be gone for three months, and so they'll get back to you, and you know, and it's like, and then they they're they're out of the position when they come back three months later. It's like they're, <laughs> and it's like just you know what I mean. So, it's uh, yeah, you fight a lot, but it's it doesn't always turn out the way that you want it to. Right. Yeah, that's a familiar story um, from my time organizing with students, too. Yeah, definitely oh, resonate with that. Yeah. Um, I think about uh, on the the church side of things and faith community, I think about mainline churches in particular right now because, I mean, on, on the good side, there's been a lot of talk about decolonizing faith and religion and stuff. 
sometimes uh, it leads to people just feeling really down about things, which is natural. Um, but it can lead to a kind of powerlessness at times where you think, okay, <clears throat> yes, we have this horrible colonial legacy that we're tied into. Um, it doesn't mean we're become powerless, that we actually have quite a lot of power and privilege to work together for good. And sometimes I, I feel like that gets left out of the story that we uh, are getting better at the critique side, but have forgotten our way a little bit and our own story of like those of us who are followers of Jesus, again, someone who took a very small number of people and kind of exploited that situation to pretty great effect. Um, and so sometimes just reading our own stories in ways that they're almost too familiar sometimes that they're so well trodden those paths that we we have this um, sophoric lens of just like really uh, overly chipper Sunday school stories, um, which really Sunday school today is actually more dynamic, I think, than maybe it was in decades past, where there's a lot of power there and a lot of possibility. And that's something that we need to reclaim that, yeah, we need to do the critique and put ourselves within that. But we can't stop there. You can't just tear down the structure because then you're just left with nothing. And that's where I feel like uh, sometimes in churches we're at a little bit. That's to exaggerate things because we are doing, say, at Church of the Cross where Boston and I are doing, we are sponsoring refugees. We're working with Shelburne Community Kitchen, a lot of great organizations. Uh, but people feeling uh, tired or that the time has passed to do impressive things. Whereas I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, but it's changed. It's not that we're just, uh, it's it's beyond the kind of civic organization time where people were in the Kiwanis and Rotary and Lions groups and things like that, where that was just everybody was part of one of these groups and was at a church or other religious community. So yes, that time has passed, but it could be a chance to revisit what's at the heart of that. That could be really powerful if we have the courage and and grace, like give ourselves some grace to to think through that. So maybe the kind of education you're talking about for organizing, think about what would the Christian analog to that be alongside. Maybe we could do some community organizing with GVAT and then build one another up in the church context too with some of our own storytelling. Well, what's interesting about the sort of like organizing model that uh, GVAT and um the uh, network that we're a part of, the Industrial Areas Foundation, um, sort of, the, the model kind of was developed out of the, um, the way that black churches in the American South were organizing, and especially like through the civil rights movement. Um, and so faith does have a large role to play in community organizing. And, you know, I think as we see the sort of decline in involvement in faith groups and, and all, all civic groups, really, that's sort of a sign to me that like, something is wrong with our society and it, to me it goes kind of back to that like critique thing you were talking about and i love uh, critique I, I think it's really important um but for a long time that was all i was doing and it made me so incredibly depressed all the time because i was just like look how wrong everything is um 
And now that I'm actually an organizer and I'm doing things about it, I know what's wrong, but I'm more focused on how do we fix it rather than just sort of wallowing in the critique and kind of being a passenger, you know? Uh, does that ring true to you, Boston? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just putting you on the spot. No, no, no. It's uh, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I find, I find, I just, and I, I think I've said it on here before, but I, 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 yeah, I find organizing, and and this sort of work difficult. It can be really, really difficult, and so it's just, yeah, trying to figure out. Anyways, yes, I'm rambling a little bit, but, um, yeah. There was something that. Uh... Sandy Hudson, who's a co-founder of Black Lives Matter Canada, I listen to the Sandy and Nora podcast a fair bit, and uh, they're almost doing, I would consider their manner of discourse almost like preaching in a secular sphere. Maybe that's why it resonates with me uh, so much as a, as a pastor. To They're really pumping up people to say, you're not powerless. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to feel like everything's crashing down. And social media is a bit of that vortex of, right, the algorithm's just going to boost the really horrible things. And like, look what horrible thing happened now, and I'm mad about it. I post stuff like that. Uh, I try to mix it up a bit. But one thing they're good at pointing out, Sandy is good at pointing out, is like the internet is not always our friend. Like it's a kind of codependency if all we're doing, right, the the doom scrolling or whatever, that actually mutes organizing and mutes building real life community. Um, and we find that too with, with churches too, with uh, the pandemic and stuff, people fall out of routines. Sometimes it's hard to get back into routine. And whether that's being part of religious community or being part of just seeing your friends in person and showing up to social events, people are struggling with that a bit. I'm just like catching up with how much that is the case for some people that it's just been easier to retreat. And when we have multiple crises facing us, retreat is not like a great answer for anyone because it leaves people feeling more isolated and it weakens our ability to respond to that. So both people's social health and then also that sense of health that can come, as you say, Izzy, from you get feel more empowered through organizing. So I think that's something that we need to keep talking about, something Sandy and Nora talk a lot about. And that just rings true to me that people feel empowered when you participate in something um, or even go see live art or something you're talking about on the self-care side uh, uh going to see a live show or something and you're like oh i haven't you know i haven't been doing this as much maybe in the last couple of years let's go to a, a concert in person or a theater or an art exhibition whatever it might be poetry reading uh, a drag show um and there's lots of that stuff in victoria but you you do have to show up yeah and, and that's not to say, like, I, I don't want to make it c come across that organizing is, is this easy thing. I, it is a, it's a difficult, difficult path to be walking. Um, there is a lot of failure. There's a lot of mistakes that get made. Um, and 
when that happens and you're so deeply tied to the issue because you've been working so hard on it, it can feel crushing. And there have been times where I've just like thought I was going to give up. And then, you know, I slept it off and did some, touched some grass and went and saw some art and talked to the people that are close to me and that matter. And uh, eventually it kind of doesn't wear off. I mean, I think you, you carry it with you a little bit, but you, you kind of are more better able to navigate those really hard times that sort of come up when you're fighting injustice in the world, right? Like it gets dark sometimes because there are dark things that are happening. Yeah, that, that rings true. I think whether it's organizing or whatever, we all have those low periods where you think, oh, what am I doing this for? What's the use? I don't have energy for this. That's just a very human reaction. Mm -hmm. So having tools and other people in your life, like sometimes just sleeping it off is enough. And if it's not enough, mm -hmm. that's where having friends and people you can check in with uh, is so important. I know that we're getting towards the end of our time here. Boston, was there anything you wanted to add? No, I don't think so. I just wanted to ask if there's anything Izzy wanted to touch on before before we end. Uh, no, just uh, thank you both for having me on. And if anybody uh, feels the inclination to get involved with Greater Victoria Acting Together, they can find me at uh, my email, which is Izzy, I-Z-Z-Y, at gvat.ca. And what's the, uh, what's the social media handles for GVAT? It's a good question. I, I don't think we actually have that significant of a social media presence yet. Um, we're on Twitter, I think, at GVAT, and I think the same on Instagram, but I don't think we ever post there. So uh, check us out on Twitter, or X. Check us out on Twitter. Yeah. It's, it's Twitter. Yeah, well, thanks so much for joining us in Studio Izzy in Boston remotely. Um, Thanks to everyone for listening. A few of our thank yous. Um, CFUV, where we are, for hosting our show. For Multi-Faith UVic, where Boston and I participate in Inclusive Christians, which is revving up again this semester. The only overtly queer-affirming Christian group on campus. Thank you for Lutheran Church of the Cross, where I'm employed and Boston serves as well as a lay leader. And... Also, the BC Synod, Bishop Kathy. Shout out to Bishop Kathy for supporting campus ministry and things like we're doing, like this show. Boston, anything else to add? How about our, where can they find us? Yeah, we have, we have an Instagram um, at Let's Talk Faith Justice. Um, and that's it. <laughs> we just have an Instagram, but that's, uh, it's good. And um, thank you again to Izzy for, for joining us, taking time out of your day. Yeah, no worries. All right. I'm excited for 2024. I'm ready to organize. We'll see. <laughs>